I want to welcome you to Central this morning where our ministry is all about seeking transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look for that kind of transformation in our lives and in our communities and in our families throughout the whole world. And we pray that that's what you experience here at Central today. Since Easter, we've been studying the book of Hebrews. It really is a sermon letter this pastor wrote down. We're not exactly sure who he was, but he wrote this letter, and it's more of a sermon than anything else. And it was written to Christians who were in the city of Rome. These Christians were coming from a Jewish background, and they were struggling mightily, struggling for living for the Lord Jesus, and they were considering giving up on the faith thinking about going back to their Jewish heritage, thinking about turning away from Christ because it was so challenging for them to live for Jesus in their context. This morning, we turn to a difficult passage in chapter 12 of Hebrews where this pastor calls on them and calls on us to consider their pain and their suffering before the Lord, not as something that's outside of his training regimen, But consider their pain and their suffering as part of God's discipleship path for them. We read and hear about discipline, and honestly, we hear about discipline and think of it as a bad word in our lives. Nobody likes discipline. But hear me out for just one brief moment and see if it doesn't color how you hear the text as I read it in a moment. The Greek word that we translate as discipline is the one from which we get our word pediatrician. It affects how we hear and think about discipline, doesn't it? The Lord, our good Father, treats us like a good pediatrician cares for an ill child. The Lord treats us as the God who cares for us sick with sin that so harms us. He treats us so that we might flourish even through difficulty, even in pain in our lives. So as we face hardship, as we face difficulty, even suffering in this life, we ask the question, what does the Jesus who lovingly holds us in his nail-scarred hands, what does he have for us to learn in the difficulties we face? What does he have for us to grow through the struggles and the hardship in our lives? This has been a good text for me to think through and pray through as I've struggled through migraines over the past number of months, and we plan for our trip to Mayo Clinic next week. Some of you know the way that I plan and outline my sermons is I spend, it's about six months in advance, I choose the text and the main themes for the sermon uh, that's coming up six months in, in advance. And so six months ago, I chose this text, Hebrews 12, to be preached today, far, far, far before I had any idea that I would be going to Mayo Clinic tomorrow for the Lord to hopefully provide some answers through those excellent doctors as to what's going on with my migraines. So I've been thinking for a number of weeks about discipline and hardship and training and suffering and what the Lord has for me to learn through it all. And this text has helped me think through some of those things. I wonder what the Lord might have for you to think through whatever hardship you're facing today. Where is that part of his discipleship design in your life? Let's pray as we turn our hearts to Hebrews chapter 12. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold what you have for us today. Help us to see Jesus. 
Open our ears that we might behold him to hear the sweetness of his love for us, even though some are walking through very difficult things. Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Help us to see and hear from Christ, we pray. In his name we ask it. Amen. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Derek Redmond was a British sprinter, 400 meters sprinter, and he came into the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona with high hopes. In the semifinal race, halfway around the track, Redmond pulled up, grabbed the back of his right thigh, and began to hobble. He had torn his hamstring, but he refused to quit the race. He was unable to walk at all, and so he began to hop on his left leg in his lane toward the finish line. Everyone else finished the race, but Redmond continued 
to hop. And the crowd leapt to their feet and began to cheer on this man as he was hopping on the track and cheer this courageous man on as he was hopping. But what mesmerized the whole crowd was the sight of an older man who rushed from the stands down onto the track. Now, that wouldn't be possible today in a post-9-11 world. You would get arrested in a hurry. But this man was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, had a Nike Just Do It hat on, and he began to jog alongside Redmond. It was his dad. It was Jim Redmond, Derek's father. And he ran alongside his son and put his arm around his son's waist, and his son Derek collapsed his head onto his father's shoulder, and he began weeping as he continued to hop to the finish line. The father waved away the race officials. They tried to pull them off the track, but they wouldn't do it. They were determined to finish this race together, which they did. It was one of the most inspirational moments in the history of the Olympics. You can go home and watch the footage of it this afternoon if you'd like. But the truth is that Derek only finished this race because his father held him up. It's the only way that he was enabled to cross the finish line. You might even say that Derek Redmond's father completed the race with his child holding on for dear life. It's the only way he made it to the finish line. The pastor writing to the Hebrews here tells us that the Christian life is a race too. He even uses Olympics language here in verse 1, that great cloud of witnesses in the race that set before us are both terms for the Greek Olympiad in this pastor's day. Even the language of spectators cheering and running in your lane are important. Running in your lane, the race that's set before you, not somebody else's race, not running in somebody else's lane, but your race in your lane that God has set out for you, the lane God has for you, even though your race and your lane may be really, really hard. Maybe your race is Olympics hard, but it's the race the Lord has set out for you. But what's most beautiful about the race here is that Jesus has also rushed onto the track as we race. The pastor says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. In other words, it's Jesus whose idea and design of this race altogether. He is the author of it, but he's also the one who perfects our faith, perfects our race. We could translate that perfects as brings our faith and race to maturity or brings it to completion. Once who brings us to the finish line as he races alongside us. You see, Jesus is not a God like the Greeks imagined. He's not the kind of God who cheers from the stands, hoping that you have the right stuff, hoping that you have the grit to be able to endure. Instead, Jesus is the God who took on flesh and entered into our world to run with you, to hold you up. To put his arm around your waist as you weep through the hardship to make it to the finish line. Jesus is the kind of God who walks with you to enable you to get to the finish line, to bring you to completion. That's what Jesus does. That's the kind of God Jesus really is. He speaks this to Christians who are struggling. Christians who are suffering deeply, who are thinking about giving up. We're thinking, I don't know that I can make it another step. I don't, certainly don't think I can make it all the way to the finish line. 
And this pastor says to them, as he says maybe to you and to me, he may think the same thing. I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know that I, I, don't know that I can make it another 10 years. I don't know that I can make it another 10 days. To people who are struggling, the pastor says, Jesus is with you. Look to Jesus. The one who is running with you, the one who brings you to maturity, the one whose arm is alongside you, the one on whose shoulder you weep, the one who runs with you, who took on flesh, that's the Jesus who's with you. Keep your eyes on him. Consider Jesus, he says. Gaze upon Jesus. Keep your focus upon that Jesus. That's the way through to the end. That's the way to make it to the finish line. That's the only way to make it all the way to the end. Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Two points for us this morning. The first one is this. Because God trains those he loves. Look to Jesus. Because God trains those he loves. Look to Jesus. What should you expect out of a God who loves you? You ever thought about that very much? What should you expect out of a God who loves you? Ever thought about what, you ex- what should you expect out of anybody who loves you? Somewhere along the way, I think that we've begun to assume that if we're loved by somebody, the felt experience that we should have is one of ease and comfort. If somebody really loves us, then they should do what they can to make our lives easy and comfortable. That's what it means to be loved. That's what we've assumed. That's what children assume of parents, that they should make my life easy. That's what, see, some parents are laughing out there. That's what we might assume of in the workplace, what we might assume of friends, what we might assume of other family members. If, if somebody really loves me, their role is to make my life as smooth and as comfortable as possible. Now, I know that's a caricature, but somewhere deep down we believe that in some way, and I think that we sometimes project that onto God. If God really loves me, then he should make my life comfortable and smooth And if my life has become hard in some way, then maybe it proves that I'm doing something wrong. Maybe there's something bad going on. Something's wrong with my life. Maybe it even proves that he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe it proves he doesn't care about me at all. Don't we think that way sometimes? And none of that's true. It's actually completely backwards from what the Bible says is true. Look at verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. Verse 7, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now remember, discipline is the word from which we get our word pediatrician, seeking flourishing, helping train someone through difficulty. But it's the Lord who trains through difficulty. The Lord isn't necessarily out to make our lives as smooth and as comfortable as possible. One pastor friend of mine put it this way, somehow we have to uncouple the idea that something that hurts 
necessarily means that it's something that harms. Those two things aren't to be equated. They're not the same thing. There are lots of things in our lives that may hurt, but aren't things that harm. Think about someone who has had an injury and they have to go have rehab or they've had a knee injury, knee surgery, and they have to go go to rehab. You ever had that happen before? There certainly is a lot of hurt that happens in knee rehab, isn't there? But the therapist certainly isn't trying to harm you. They're trying to actually help you. It may hurt a little bit. It may hurt a lot. But the goal is to get your knee to be flexible again. I'm seeing some nodding heads out here. People who've had knee replacements especially have seen nodding heads. It kind of hurts. But the path toward healing, the path toward a functional limb is through that pain of rehab, right? It's not hurt and harm aren't the same thing. Or think about an athlete. An athlete has to undergo training, and sometimes that training hurts. Sometimes it hurts a lot. Think, I think about my son who starts football practice tomorrow, and it's going to hurt, buddy. It's going to hurt. <laughs> but that's not the same thing as harm. Sometimes training in athletics involves a little bit of pain, but it's not about harming. It's the same thing with the Lord. Same thing in all kinds of training in our lives. When our good father does the work of training us, there, it may be through pain. There may be through some hardship that we face and hurts in this life, but, but that doesn't mean that he no longer loves us, but he's actually training us because he loves us deeply. He's demonstrating that we belong to him as sons. He's invested in our lives. He has a purpose behind it, and that purpose is in verse 11. He's causing us to share in his holiness. He's producing the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. If there's no discipline, there's no hardship that we're working through in our lives, verse 8 suggests that maybe we're illegitimate sons, that we don't belong to him as his dearly loved children. It's through the pain of living in a broken world filled with hard things that the Lord is working and growing and producing things in you because he loves you, precisely because he loves you. You're a son, you're his daughter. That's the path of the Christian life. And so often it involves pain for him to produce beauty in your life and in my life. Now, when those moments come, that doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean that we put up a wall and become all stoic and pretend like, oh, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm joyful at the pain. We don't pretend that things that hurt don't hurt. It's not, I'm not suggesting that we become Monty Python Christians. It's merely a flesh wound. You know? that's, <laughs> that's not the goal at all. It's okay to say that things that hurt actually hurt. It's okay to talk about the hardship being really hard. After all, Jesus grieved the brokenness and the destruction in this world. He wept over his friend Lazarus who had died. He was just about to raise him from the dead and yet Jesus still wept at at death and the pain of death in this world. It's okay to grieve hurt. It's It's okay to grieve brokenness and hardship in this world. Don't pretend, but neither do you believe the devil's lie. That if there's hardship in your life, it proves that God's abandoned you. That's the devil's lie. Don't believe it. 
If there's hardship in your life, it doesn't prove that God no longer loves you. That's the devil's lie. Don't believe it. Listen to me carefully. When hardship comes, and it's going to, you must look to Jesus. The Jesus who comes down out of the crowd The Jesus who put on flesh and came into this world and went to the cross. When you face hardship in your life, look to the cross that proves the God of love, that proves that he loves you, that proves his commitment to you, to love you above all, to love you all the way to the end. The the cross proves that our God was willing to do everything that was necessary, that you would spend eternity with him. He was willing to love you so much that his own son would go to the cross to pay for your shame and your guilt. He would do everything that was necessary, pay every, craw- every cost that was necessary that you would be reconciled to him. The cross proves that our God loves us. Look at verse two. It's for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. It was the joy of saving you for eternal fellowship with him in a restored and renewed creation. It was that joy that drove Jesus to the most shameful death in the entire Roman world. There was no more shameful death in Jesus' day. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. It was so shameful that a Roman citizen could not be crucified, and yet it was Jesus' joy to step into that shame. The living Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, counted it joy to take on the most shameful death known to humanity at the time. He counted it joy to embrace my shame and yours, my guilt and yours, because of how much he loves you. The cross proves how deeply he loves you and me. Jesus bore a crown of thorns, the thorns that were introduced into creation as evidence of the curse of God over creation. And that evidence of the curse, the the thorns were fashioned into a crown and placed on Jesus's head. He bore a crown of shame, a crown of curse because of our sin. As the Lamb of God bled and suffered and died, to pay for all of our sin, to cleanse us of all of our shame. It was all for joy. Jesus does not say of the shame of the cross, see what you did to me. But instead he says, look what I've done for you and I count it joy. It was an amazing love of Jesus that held him on the cross. And it is his love for you that will walk with you through the pain and suffering in your life. Jesus loves you and me far too much to leave us trapped in this sin that so entangles us and harms us. The God who trains you loves you. And to be reminded of the proof, look to the cross. Second, Because God uses our hardship, look to Jesus. Because God uses it in our lives, look to Jesus. Look at verse 11. It's one of those duh verses in the Bible. No child loves discipline. (laughs) 
Nobody loves discipline while it's happening, but in the long run, it's the discipline that makes us who God wants us to be. That discipline is one of God's theaters of sanctification. It's one of the places where God is working out his changing us and transforming our lives, making us who he wants us to be. It's one of the places, one of the theaters where God is transforming us to have the a share of his holiness in our lives. Suffering and hardship reveals the work of training that Christ is doing in our hearts. But not always, right? Suffering can soften our hearts, but suffering can sometimes harden hearts. Have you ever seen that happen? Ever seen someone get brittle and hard as they've gone through difficult things in their lives? I think that's what's happening in verses 12 to 17. We're being warned about how pain can turn us into hardened people. It can turn us into entitled people. Pain can make us say, Lord, I'm suffering, so you owe me a little bit of indulgence. I've had a hard time, God, so you owe me a little bit. Throw me a bone here. Verse 14, I think, is pointing us to, Lord, I'm hurting, so I've earned the right to be irritable. I'm irritable because I've had a bad day. I'm irritable because I've had a bad year. I think I've earned the right to be prickly. Have you ever thought that about your own life, about your own day, your own year? I think we're being warned about that here, where the pastor says, no, strive for peace. Strive for peace with a heart that's been softened through the training regimen of suffering. Let the pain do its work of pressing you closer to the cross, closer to Jesus. Look to the cross and let your heart melt and find where you've been had, had peace with God made on your behalf. And so in that love of the cross, go toward others and make peace with them. Let that suffering do its work so that you strive for peace rather than take refuge in, I'm going to be irritable because I've earned it. Pain can make us brittle. Pain can make us bitter. When we get hyper-focused on all the things that we've lost, everything that's been taken away from us, that's been robbed from us from all the suffering we've endured, can make us hard of heart. Verse 15, and that bitterness defiles us. I know sometimes in my own heart, I think, Lord, I've, I've done my time. I've denied myself, so it's time for this, some me time now. Lord, I, I, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Don't you see how much I've done for you? I deserve better than this. I don't deserve you taking this thing away. I don't deserve this suffering. I don't deserve all this. When we focus on all that we've lost, we can begin to be having hearts that are turned toward bitterness, and it, it grows into a root. Or verse 16 it might even lead us towards sexual immorality. Lord, <laughs> I've denied myself enough. I think I'm owed a little bit of pleasure. It's me time. It's time for, some, time for a me party. Or verse 17, grasping for what might maybe make me feel better right now, like Esau. I've been hurting so much, I want to feel better right now. I want to feel good now. You trade my inheritance for a single meal. I want to feel better now. I don't want to wait. 
Pain can make us brittle. Pain can harden our hearts. Hardship can harden, or the work of suffering can drive us to Jesus. Verse 10, that we might share in his holiness as he is at work within us. I want you to listen carefully to what the pastor is saying here. The Lord trains us and shapes our lives through hardship and through suffering so that we might share in his holiness. Did you catch that? The Lord puts to use the difficulties in your life to make you look more like Jesus. That's what he does. Jesus wastes nothing in your life. He wastes no hardship, no difficulty in your life. He wastes none of it, but he puts it to work to make you more like Christ. That's the walk of a disciple. That's what he does. Now, that does not make it easy. It does not make it pleasant. But that hardship in our lives does drive us to Jesus to find our strength in him, not in ourselves. Suffering, in some ways, opens up our hands and loosens our grip on the things that we have a tight grip on. Hardship loosens up our grip so that we begin to grow hearts that are strong in Jesus. Strong in Jesus so that when harder things come, we find that Jesus is the one who sustains us through the roughest of seas. It's hardship that shows us that lesser strengths in our lives crumble under the weight of suffering. It's hardship that teaches us that. It's suffering that proves to us that we need help outside of the lives that we construct, outside of all the crutches that we have, all the things that we prop up our lives to make us comfortable. We need something beyond all of that. We need Jesus, a supernatural Jesus, to help us when things get really, really hard. And it's suffering that proves that to us. It's hardship that demonstrates who will remain faithful with us through the pain. It's Jesus who does, because he will never fail you. He's the only one who's always faithful and will never fail us. And we find that only when we feel like everything else that we've leaned upon has been taken away, except Jesus. When all we have left is Jesus, that's when we finally figured out that Jesus is really all we need. It's really only in those moments when those things begin to sink pilasters deep, deep into our hearts. We only learn it through suffering, difficulty, and hardship. Suffering loosens our grip on these other things, these lesser things in our lives so that we grow hearts to be strengthened in Jesus so that when even harder things come, we find that Jesus will sustain us through the roughest seas of life. Because let me tell you, when your wife dies, playing another round of golf is not going to get you through it. It's just not. Or when your child is diagnosed with cancer, or someone close to you betrays you in such a way that it can't be remedied in some way. As nice as a trip to the beach is, it's not going to strengthen you to endure the pain. 
The cost of suffering is just too high if you're looking for something here to justify it or make it make sense or to make it go away. It just won't. It can't bear the weight. What will enable you to endure is a heart that walks with Jesus that has been trained to find strength in Christ when it's gotten hard before and you really, really, really need him right now. There's a purpose in that discipline, in that training. And the purpose is that you would find Jesus faithful now and find him faithful tomorrow and find him faithful the day after that. And when the day comes, when the bottom falls out, you'll find him really faithful on that day. And we only learn it through hardship. The Lord shapes us toward holiness. He disciplines us in that fruit of righteousness as we are refined through the hardship and run the race that he set before us, run in our lane that he set before us, not running somebody else's race, somebody else's lane that might be a whole lot easier than ours. But as we run in our lane, in our race, with Jesus at our side, his arm around us, the Holy Spirit within us, enabling us to make it toward the finish line, maturing us, completing us, helping us work our way to the end, to the finish line, when one day we will finally see him face to face. And we will be transformed to be like him. He uses all of our hardship to shape his dearly loved children. Children who've been loved at the cost of a cross to help us grow up to be like him when we run our race. Let me close with this. It's one of illustrations that Billy Graham liked to use. He would tell a story about a man who was walking down the street after losing his job one day during the Depression. He was shuffling along trying to figure out how he was going to tell his family what had happened when he got home because their hard life was about to get a whole lot harder with a dad who'd lost his job. He came across this man on the street who was using these metal tools to chop on a piece of stone and he was just banging on it with a mallet and a chisel and chipping away at the stone with some, some kind of design on it. So he stopped to watch this man. He looked like an artist of some sort and He decided to ask him some questions. Why are you chipping at this stone? And the man said, well, I'm a a stonemason and I'm I'm chipping and I'm preparing this rock to fit in this spot up there. You see on that that stone wall up there? And the man said, yeah, I see it up there. And he said, well, what I'm doing is I'm making this stone down here to fit exactly in that spot up there. And so I'm chipping on it down here and making it pretty, and when, it gets, when, it, it's, when it's just the right shape, I'm going to put it in that spot right there, and it's going to fit exactly right, and it's going to make that whole wall beautiful. And the man said it was like the Lord spoke to him in that moment. Like the grind that I'm experiencing, the hardship and the difficulty in my life right now, it's, it, it's the work of the master mason. And he's at work shaping my life right now to fit me to be with him forever. And that's the story I've got to tell my family. That's the only way any of this makes sense. He's exactly right. That's what the Lord does. Our Jesus wastes no hardship, no pain, 
no struggle, no trial. He doesn't waste any of it in your life. He rules and he overrules all these things going on because he has a purpose for beauty and holiness in your life. And you can know that that one who is doing the shaping is not indifferent to the pain that you face. He's not cold toward the hardship that you face every single day, but that God who is doing the shaping loves you. And it's proven to you by looking to Jesus, the one who went to the cross for rebels and sinners like you and me, so that we would not remain like we were as rebels and sinners, but he went to the cross so that we would be fit as sons and daughters of the king, that we would be changed forever. So you can trust him because he loves you and he's doing his work inside of you and he's not ever going to let you go. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you today because some people in this room and people who are watching online are facing really, really difficult things in their lives and they need you They need you to open their eyes and open their hearts to the truth about how much you care about them because the circumstances of their lives scream something very different. So Lord, I pray that you would help. Help us make sense of what's happening. Help people who are struggling make sense of the truth that you love them even though they're facing hardship. There may be people here, Lord, who've never known your love, who've never trusted that you love them, have never trusted that they are sinners and have a Savior who would love them enough and be, love them enough to go to a cross to forgive them for all the things that they've done. I pray that today you would open their hearts to trust that you are a Savior who forgives and who makes new. Father, we ask that you would help all of us to keep our eyes focused on Christ, that we would consider you as we run our race. Lord, for those whose lane is really hard right now, wrap your arms around them. Have a sturdy shoulder as they weep. Carry them to the finish line, Lord. We pray that you would do that for all of us. Help us to do that for one another as your body, the church. Lord, we need you. We need you every day. We need you every hour. Prove yourself to be faithful, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.